0: religions love the old traditional way of doing things. They also like magic, they like power, they like status, they like buildings, they like... Israel's religion was full of those things with the temple, with the priest, with the sacrifice, with the right ways of conducting things, but the people of Israel didn't understand what God was about. God was setting up a visual aid system to understand the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ his death, his resurrection and the like and they misunderstood it so in Isaiah chapter 1 and Isaiah chapter 66 the first of the last chapters of the great book of Isaiah you find God attacking the religion that he set up because he didn't want sacrifices he didn't want priests offering up sacrifices and altars he wanted changed arts He wanted people purified by the sacrifices, not the sacrifices. But people thought, if I do the sacrifice right, then I will get it right. Now, of course, Presbyterians. (laughs) Presbyterians got rid of all that rubbish, you know, four or five hundred years ago and created a new set of rubbishes. We all do it. You can't help it, you see. Oh, it's not the way they used to do it around here. You know that the church has never done that before. Famous sentence for death soon to come. There's a certain hypocrisy, appearing to be godly while being ungodly, or rather being godless. Uh, appearing to give when in fact what you're doing is taking. Uh, legalism always has this potential and Presbyterian has a potential for legalism. Even the legalism of this passage see, this whole passage is against the kind of legalism about religious practices of piety. Uh, imagining that godliness is a means to gain but godliness with contentment is great gain. We think that by doing religion the right way God will be impressed because we're impressed. But it's nonsense. And Jesus' illustrations here in this chapter, the first half of the chapter, cut right through it. And yet, you see, when you go fasting, wash your face, oil your hair, look normal. I know this man who went on a fast while hiking in New Zealand. And he got... Brill cream it used to be called, I don't know if that's even on the market anymore, it's hairdressed for men and he slicked out his hair and he put oil on his face and walked around, he bumped into all kinds of people. And he said, You look a bit strange. What what he never slicked his hair down. But now he has slicked out. And he said well, oh, you all up fasting. The very thing that you're being told to do in order not to be different was the very thing he did. But it made him different. I know the the alms giving where people advertise how much they give. Um, the Jewish community in Sydney put out a book telling you how much each family has given to the state of Israel as a planting trees and other things in the last year. And when it comes out, of course, every Jewish family in Sydney checks through to see how everyone else's business is going. You know, oh, they only gave ten thousand this year because they give you last year's and this year's kind of giving, so you can uh, exactly how generous people were but of course all you're doing is buying advertising space for you isn't it i mean i drove down here we were driving down behind a a a car which was for nurses wasn't it a a local nurses on wheels but nurses on wheels sponsored by and then it tells you the sponsor it looks like they're being generous but in fact it's just an advertising technique that's all it is the wales copter rescues people, but it has its name on the ABC News every night, it can pull off a rescue. It actually looks like it's doing something good for people, but actually it's taking. See, this is when you pray, you know, go into your room, close the door, pray in secret. Well, I knew a girl who lived in a household where no one ever closed the doors, it was just kind of that, Yeah, you know, different families have different ways of conducting, they never closed doors. But when she became a Christian, she read this and said, oh, I've got to close my door when I pray. So she closed the door. Her parents came barging in. Are you OK? Is everything all right? The door's closed? She said, I oh, know I'm praying. Now I've become a Christian, I pray. And so that's all oh, OK. So she was able to signal to the family when she was praying by closing the doors. And so as to impress the family, she often would close the doors when she wasn't praying. So as to give them the impression of how much she was praying. She fulfilled what was said, but actually didn't fulfill, completely denied it, didn't she? See, you can even be legalistic about the anti-legalistic words of Jesus. I know something even worse, that is in the King James Version of the Bible, the authorised version of the Bible it said, go into your bedroom and into your closet. (laughs) And I know the man who used to have his quiet times in his wardrobe. (laughs) You see, and closed his door. And again, his parents thought this was rather strange, and but it says to go into your closet, so that's where he went, into his closet, you see, and he would sit there with a torch, reading his Bible and praying with the door shut, and his parents outside outside thinking he's gone completely balmy. Which I think he had, really, frankly. Now, what what we've got here is Jesus' anti-religion teaching, anti-piety looking for true piety rather than phony piety. You, you can't dictate to God in prayers. You can't manipulate God in prayers. Look, if we all prayed, if we all prayed all night, then God would do what he wants to do. You, know? you cannot force the hand of God by the mechanisms that you use for prayer. And so... The principle is laid out for us in verse 1 of chapter 6. Beware of practising your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you'll have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Now remember five, chapter 5 verse 16. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father. And now we're told what well, seems to be almost the opposite, isn't it? That is, you must live the life of good works that are the sign of the outworking of God's transforming effect upon your heart. And if you do that, it will never be hidden. It cannot be hidden. It's like a city on a hill. But you do not do them in order to be seen. Because when you do that, you're not doing them because they're good. You're not doing them because the Holy Spirit's moving you to do them. You're doing them to show off you're doing them to gain credit and honour for yourself. Sincerity matters in the Christian faith. It's not just what we do, it's the motives for which we do it. It's our heart that matters. It's really important, isn't it, what the heart is. Outside the library there's a b- woman who drops her books and three men race over to pick the books up for this woman. The first man does it because he sees a woman struggling with all her luggage and trying to cope with the books and he wants to help her. The second man does it because he's seen this woman for quite some time and he's really interested in the introduction and here's his opportunity. The third one does it because he's the bottom of the class and she's the top of the class and he wants some free coaching. They're all doing exactly the same thing, aren't they? but the evaluation of those three things is completely different. Your motivation, your sincerity that you are doing what you appear to be doing is of critical importance. So how can you safeguard your sincerity? The answer here is secrecy. Secrecy safeguards sincerity. All good preachers. Three points Alliteration, poem at the end, and then your wife comes on and sings a solo. (laughs) So, here is secrecy, safeguards, sincerity. Make sure you write it down, because in the next little while, you might be tempted to fall asleep after the good lunch, and at least you've got the main point written down. Secrecy, safeguards, sincerity. You give for the purpose... Of giving because someone needs the help that is the reason for giving you pray because you are truly depending upon God that's why you're asking for help you fast because you're deep in mourning and repentance over your sin or over the sinfulness of your community don't let yourself be impressed by yourself don't let your left hand know what your rights giving you know you may not Impress anybody else. You might do it secretly, but not secretly from yourself. So you impress yourself with how godly you are, and you feel right. You're not godly by the actions that you take like this. Your sincerity is even more important. So you actually live such a good life that it cannot be hidden. And then you will get your rewards. Now, what is this business about rewards? The Christian life is going to be judged, not for salvation. The salvation judgment is taken care of on the cross of Christ when we are washed clean of our sin and welcomed into the family of God. But once we become Christians, the rest of our life is not meaningless, just hanging around, waiting for God-o. We, we just don't hear in a meaningless, some of you don't do English, I can see, because there's hardly any recognition of waiting for God-o in what you're saying, is there? Waiting for God to come and get you. Forget about Beckett's play. You can't forget about it because you don't know it in the first place, evidently. I tell you, the English department, at them. Anyway, we just don't hang around, wait for God to come and get us. We live a life that God is going to call into account. Uh, not in terms of losing our salvation, that's secured in the death and resurrection of Jesus. But in terms of what have we done with our life? See, I became a Christian in 1959. When God calls me up and at the end of the day says, okay Philip, what have you been doing since 1959? Am I supposed to have become a Christian just to do nothing until then? No. We will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, we're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. And then what we've done will be seen for what it is. It'll all burn up, be it wood, hay, stubble, or purified, be it that which is silver and gold and precious stone. You'll be seen for how you have wasted your life, or how you have used your life, how you've engaged in the mission of God, or how you've ignored the mission of God. And the rewards will match the actions. (laughs) Australians, we've been affected by the British Empire. It's a dreadful thing. Anyway, never mind, we can't help it. Um, You at least weren't born into it. Helen and I were born in the British Empire, but we're free of that now. We're in the Commonwealth of Nations. But the British, you see, they ruled the world by ornamentation. It's, it's a, a weird thing. The Americans ruled the world by economic control uh, and the, the uh, Nazis tried to rule the world by militaristic power and every empire rules by a different mechanism, you see. The British mechanism was they gave people rewards. They made them a knight or they made them a... Uh, they, they gave... well, one of the funniest ones is India. They invented a group of men in the backwards of uh, back rooms of the Westminster Parliament. Invented the Star of David, uh, India. Star of India, not Star, of India. Well, Star of David. It's Star of India. The Star of David's a lot older. Star of India. Thank you, dear. I need her on the front seat. It's after lunch. And then they went around all the Rajas of India, and they said, "If you acknowledge Victoria as the Empress of India, you can be part of the British Empire." And you will be made a member of the Star of India. And you get this little star and a sash that you can wear. And all the Rajas said, oh, Star of India. I'd like one of those. It was only invented, you know, six months before in England. Now they just quickly whipped up a bit of tin, put it on a sash. and yeah, they were all pouncing around with their Star of India, feeling important because Queen Victoria was the Empress. It's a complete nonsense, right? So when we talk about rewards, we think of school. I'm the fastest 100-meter runner in the school, so they give me a plastic cup that actually looks like it's silver. Because who can afford a silver cup these days? A plastic cup that looks like silver, which is going to go on the mantelpiece for my mother to dust for the rest of her life. <laughs> because I run 100 meters quickly it's really, it's a whole system it's a silly system and so they give you prizes at, uh, at schools for all kinds of things you, you read novels really well and so they give you a novel which you've already read <laughs> but this one has a school stamp on the front of it so you can't get rid of it <laughs> you, know, you can't re-gift it to anybody because it's got your name written in it so I mean, the whole thing is a silly system that is a, and when we read rewards that's what we think if I pray properly, then God, when I get to heaven, is going to give me a silver cup, maybe a little plaque. All those terrible things at work, you know, where they they get this piece of paper, they plasticize it, and they award it to you as the employee of the month. You know, so I'm going to get, you know, the best prayer for 1948. <laughs> you know, and there it'll be on my wall, in my mansion in heaven, all his best plates. You know, all have their little plastic piece of. That's not it. What is the reward that you're going to get? The people that you give will be helped by your gift. That is your reward. You wanted to give because you saw someone in need. That need has been met. And what's more you'll become more like God who is a generous giver. That's your reward. The activity itself carries its reward in it. And God will not let you miss out on it. I pray for this because I'm really concerned for it. What will be my reward? It will. God will grant me my, re- my request. That is my reward. See, when Paul speaks about his rewards, it's in two Thess- 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Just go across there, 1 Thessalonians 2. 1 Thessalonians 2. Oh, yes, last time I looked for it, I was lost. I found it. 1 Thessalonians 2 you got my bible to 11 pages 1177 1 Thessalonians 2 he's really worried about the Thessalonians they're being persecuted he had to leave town but he sends Timothy he finds out that they're doing right. but since verse 17 but since we were torn away from you brothers for a short time in person not in heart we endeavoured the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you I Paul again and again but Satan hindered us for what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? You are our glory and joy. See, on the last day when the Lord Jesus Christ comes and all the secrets of hearts are opened and all the history of what you have done will be made manifest and the reality will happen There is the person you taught in Sunday school class. There are the little children who were converted through the missionary that you were praying for. Here is the old lady that you helped share the gospel with. There's the school friend, you've forgotten about them, but that person you shared the gospel with at school, they're Christian now, they're standing there. What is your reward? You see the reality through the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see what the world actually is, you see what your life has been all about. is your reward. In this context Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray and notice his teaching how to pray teaches them what to pray for. Need Needless that because people have got these weird ideas about prayer, that prayer is some kind of mystical experience that you get from meditating. That's called Buddhism or Hinduism but it's not Christian. Uh, I've written a little book on prayer, prayer and the voice of God. I think that's what it is called. Uh, uh, and uh, I'd encourage you to be reading it, buy it by all means. There are seven words for prayer in the New Testament, if I remember correctly. Uh, none of them are the word pray. None of them are religious. They're all normal, everyday words. In fact, the English word pray is not religious. Uh, when you send a, a petition to government, you say, we pray the house will listen to this. I, I pray you listen to me this afternoon. I don't think you're God just because I use the word pray that's just an old English word for I ask you all these seven words just are different ways of saying ask that's why you always pray with thanksgiving because thanksgiving is not asking so thanksgiving is not prayer when you talk to God you ask him for things and you thank him for things it's as simple as that and the image is that of father that's why Jesus starts off our father right As a child asks his father for something, so the Christian child asks God for something. It's as simple as that. And the more you ask, the more you bring glory to God. When you ask for big things, you're saying, God, you're all powerful, you can fix this. When you ask for little things, you say, God, you're all loving, you care about the little things. Whatever you pray, whenever you ask, you're bringing glory to God. What should we ask for? Well, Jesus' prayer is all about bringing glory to God. The first three petitions are about God. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. You'll find them all in Ezekiel 36. The second three things you pray for are all about your participation in the kingdom. Give us today, tomorrow's bread. uh, Protect us from the evil, lead us not into temptation. They're praying that in the coming of the kingdom I'd be protected. Yes, I said the right thing there. Helen hasn't corrected me, you noticed that time. It's tomorrow's bread, not today's bread. The Greek actually is tomorrow, not today. The translators didn't know what to do with that, so they said it must have been today. Jesus had a slip of the tongue. He didn't have a slip of the tongue, he meant tomorrow's bread. That is, the bread of heaven. Remember the Sabbath. Day? Remember the uh, manna from heaven. How on the sixth day they had to collect the seventh day's bread. They had to collect the Sabbath bread beforehand. Collecting tomorrow's bread is collecting the bread of heaven. Collecting the Sabbath bread is what. It's... So it's all ways of just saying, we want your kingdom to come and we want to participate in your kingdom. That's what the prayer of Jesus is about. And then he challenges us. He challenges us in the second half of the chapter about materialism. And the problem is this is the big problem for you and me, my dear friends. It really is our problem because materialism is the very air we breathe. You can't see the air, but it's here everywhere you, you always can't live with or well, you can't live without it you're breathing it all the time materialism is like that it's like your mother's milk you are fed on it you've been completely addicted to it there's nothing you can do about it it's just there it's cause of consumerism uh, the planned obsolescence of things, the dissatisfaction and discontent with the, the acquisitions of possessions, the, the size of Australian homes, you know? Our families have got smaller, our homes have got bigger. We have, per person, per head, we have the largest homes in the world. You know, it's ridiculous. Uh, two children, three floors. You know, One floor for mum, one floor for daughter, one floor for son. Four garages, because we obviously need four cars for only three people. Uh, this is. A, I mean, it's, we are an absurdly, obscenely rich people, and we have never been a group of people so discontent. How's your phone? Have you got the latest phone? Ooh, yours is that old? How bizarre! Can it still work? And so, but it's not just that. It's individualism. That's the cause. That's materialism. It's careerism. Oh, my Chinese friends. I know you've got those mothers, haven't you? You've got to get ahead, haven't you? Actually, it's not Chinese really, it's migrant. That's the problem. Migrants come to our land and have been for hundreds of years, in fact, 40,000 years, if you take 40 whatever it is you take the Aborigines in. Migrant. We're all migrants, and the first generation of migrants come for a very good reason that is, to get their children an opportunity to get ahead in life not to have to face the deprivations that they've had to face. And so terrific pressure comes on the second generation to get ahead materialistically. And the third generation, it's not so much. And the fourth generation is... I met a girl the other day at a conference, uh, it was a Korean girl, lovely, lovely girl. I said, what do you do? She said, I study history at Sydney University. (coughs) History? (laughs) She's Korean. I said. Your grandfather came out, didn't you? How do you know? I said, only third generation Asians study history. <laughs> you know? Computers, commerce, electrical engineering, medicine, all kinds of things you can think of, but history? How can you get a job with history? You know? But I said, don't worry. Your children will be lying on Bondi Beach smoking pots. That's all right. That's the next generation. It's a generational thing that happens, right? But careerism is materialism. The idea that I am a doctor, lawyer, dentist, that's, that's, that's materialism. It's living for this world rather than the age to come. And it's very understandable. Feminism is also materialism. You, you wouldn't have feminism in the previous generation. Of course we're fa- fabulously wealthy. We don't have to work in factories anymore. We now have refrigerators, washing machines. We now have uh, we now we have all the processes whereby home life can be looked after and we can, wa- we, can, we can warehouse our children so we don't have to stay around and look after them. We have such money and feminism doesn't work without materialism. That's why it's upper middle class arid nonsense. There's the social policies that our governments are following. Do away with weekends. When you do away with weekends, everybody has to work, but it's only poor people who work on weekends. The rich people, no, no, the shareholders, no, no, they're up at Avoca on the beach. But the people who can't get any other job than working in retail stacking shelves, they've got to do it on weekends so that we can enjoy shopping whenever we want to. It's just crass materialism, greed at its worst. Uh, professional sport, we no longer actually have our local people playing sport. We pay people to come and play sport for us. A pathetic kind of view. No wonder we wind up with the cheats that we have found in our cricket and the rest. Uh, Universities. Universities are no longer for education. I don't know if they were but they're certainly not now. It's all about careers. That's what the universities are about. Get qualified so that you can get a good job and get ahead in life. That's why, you know, someone studying history. Yeah, really. You might learn something. Uh, Our politics is all built on materialism. So we have on one side the socialists, on the other side the capitalists. And the socialist capitalists have been fighting our politics for a 100 years. Both of which are totally materialistic philosophies. The socialists, you see, they both come out of Christianity, but they're both materialism. Uh, The socialist is concerned for the welfare of the whole. The capitalist is concerned for the individual responsibility. Both Christian ideas, but they're Christian ideas built on materialism. The Socialism is built on envy. capitalism is built on greed. Neither of which are vaguely Christian because they're all really based about who gets the money? Who gets the wealth? How much wealth can we create? Our society is not about what is good for society. No one's going to vote for policies about the good for society. What they're going to vote for is that who's going to get the bigger slice of the bigger cake? and you see it in churches, crassly in the prosperity gospel but very often in Christians who are living the Australian dream and kind of going to church on the side you're not going to reach Australia that way you cannot serve God and money he says, and so he looks at our vision and says where your heart is there your treasure is also is it going to be in this world or the next world If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things of this earth. (coughs) Our world having given up on God and given up on the Lord Jesus Christ has a whole social philosophy, a whole educational process, a whole way of living which is all about this world, not the world to come that we are committed to. So where do you have your vision? Where is your eye? The eye in the Old Testament is associated with money in Proverbs 28, 22 if you want to see it. The good eye is the single eye. The divided eye is the evil eye. And that's why he goes on and says you can't serve God and money. It's one or the other. He doesn't say it will be difficult. He says you cannot do it. In the long run, one who is going to take over And in this world, sadly, so often it's money. And so then he gives you this wonderful passage about don't be anxious about anything in verses 25 following. Now, please, let me make it clear. I tried this last night at the forum and I had great difficulty getting it across. There's nothing wrong with anxiety. He's not talking about anxiety states. If you're a person who has anxiety, Uh, who's who's got anxiety problems, see your doctor, get them to refer you to a good psychiatrist or counsellor, take the medications that they offer to you. See, we've all got different... I've got arthritis, you've got anxiety, just different disease, that's all. Uh, I'm glad not to have yours, you should be glad not to have mine. We just have diseases, that's, that's life, and that's your one, and I'm sorry for you, and I hope you're sorry for my arthritis too. But don't read arthritis into the Bible, don't read anxiety into the Bible. We're not talking about an anxiety style. because what he's talking about is what you are anxious about. He goes on to talk about anxiety in terms of pursuing, running after things, and then he says we should run after things. We should seek things. There's nothing wrong with being anxious, it's just what you're anxious about. And what the world is anxious about is what you wear, what you eat, what you drink. Whereas we're to be anxious about the kingdom of God and righteousness, verse 33. It's not that what you eat, wear, drink doesn't matter. I'm very glad you're all wearing something. Right? I certainly enjoyed the eating a little while ago, and after I've talked for a while, I need to have a drink. In fact, I might even have one right now. That's a joke from a car TV commercial. And the drink there is beer. Uh, uh, we, we all need to eat and drink. They're, that's, they're not wrong things, but it's what you give your life to you go into your local news agent, have a look at the magazines. I mean, there's other ones, there's car magazines, (laughs) there's computer magazines. I always think that's funny. If you've got a computer, why do you want to get a magazine about a computer? Why don't you read the computer about the magazine? (laughs) Anyway, um, but there is always sections fashion, dining out, cooking. In the last year or two, television That's a thing that old people watch. It's in the dining, it's in the corner of most lounge rooms. Television programs have been dominated by cooking shows. Hour after hour after hour, how to cook preposterously ridiculous pre-sewerage material. (laughs) Because I mean, it's it's an absurdity, I I, I like eating and I'm glad there are good cooks who cook good food, etc. But I'm not going to spend every night, hour after hour, trying to find out how other people make food into kind of weird patterns that will affect your palate for two seconds before you send it where it deserves. It's got nothing to do with life. And yet, for many people, that's life that's what they talk about, that's what they read about, that's what they dream about That's all there is, you see, is this world not us, the kingdom of God and his righteousness because we pray, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come your will be done, give us tomorrow's bread, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from the evil, we're living for the kingdom to come not for the kingdoms of this world, you want to be in a mission great You want to be fishermen? Fantastic! You no longer live like the rest. You now live a different lifestyle. In your religious practices, it'll be nothing like people expect. Because it's not full of the claptrap of religion. Of temples and priests and wearing funny clothes and saying funny words. I went to a Presbyterian church in Melbourne a couple of years ago and they didn't give any notices, they didn't give any announcements. They gave intimations. I didn't know what an intimation was. I had to go and look it up in the dictionary. No? Old-fashioned words. Why, why, why do we just talk normal language like anybody else? We don't need to speak fancy religious words. Right? It's just normal language. Intimation is just a straightforward word. He intimated what's going to happen. It's a normal word. I've just never heard it used before. I've been hanging around the English-speaking world seventy years. Never heard it used before. But there it is. It's intimations, right? Uh, our, our religion is just like everybody. It's just a normal life because it's sincerity that we're after. And what's safeguard sincerity? You got that? Good. Okay. <laughs> and we're going to be radically different to the world in terms of money, in terms of what we value and what we don't value, what's important to us, what's not important to us. Have you got a bucket list that you want to fulfill by the end of this, by the end of your life or by the next decade? Well if you have, put a hole in the bottom of it, let it all run out and forget it. Throw the bucket away. What a stupid idea. I've got to go and see the Taj Mahal. Why? It'll be there when you're dead. It's now there. It's not gonna be... it won't miss you. You know, it won't feel bad that you didn't see it. You say, but I want a photograph of it. Go, Mr. Google, he's got better photographs than your camera will ever give you. It's there, it's photographed. It just stands there. Yes, but it's got a lovely romantic story. Read the story and feel romantic. What a complete waste of a life to spend money going and looking at a mausoleum from another century. It really doesn't matter. Whereas your neighbour going to hell does. Your Sunday school class does. Going off, you know, up to the Hunter Valley so as to spend a weekend testing out all the wines checking on the different cheese and then sending it down the sewer (laughs) your life is lived for the sewerage really get a true life live for other people lay down your life for their salvation like the Lord Jesus Christ did see your children grow up in godliness and holiness of life these are the things of eternity And if you do that, you'll be very, very different to the other people around about you. And when you're different, you've got a message to give them. But when you're identical, what's the message? This is the trouble with liberal theology. It's got no message that would get me out of bed to go to church on a Sunday morning. Because it basically says, you're all right the way you are. Well, if I am, I'll stay in bed. But when I hear the message that, no, you're not right. Your life needs to change and God, by his mercy, brings you forgiveness and by his spirit brings you change. That's getting worth getting out of bed to find out about. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the Lord Jesus, for his stark teaching that he gave to his disciples and through them to us. We pray, Father, that you would so burden us with your kingdom and your righteousness that we might live not only by your law written on our heart but in a a sincerity that is safeguarded by a genuine secrecy that we might live in this world rejoicing and enjoying the good things that you give us but not obsessing about them and living for them but rather living for you and your kingdom and your righteousness in this world. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.